This is Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. It's, uh, the title of this is A Call to Remember and Obey. Be careful to obey all the commands I am giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You may be seated. Well, Father, I pray that you will, this morning, give us a hunger for yourself that maybe we've never had before. God, that if, if we do have a hunger for you, that you would feed that that we can come to you humbly to be even more humbled by you like you humbled the Israelites in the Exodus and that we would learn to worship you as our great supplier of every need and ultimately our greatest need, which is yourself. God, that we would, we would recognize that this morning. We would learn to worship. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. According to worldhunger.org. Um, if you get on that, that website, it will talk to you about the issue of world hunger and what causes that. I have um, a slide here that will show you. Uh, it's a, a graph, Marshall, if you want to move to that. The extent of the world that is currently considered chronically hungry. And that being 925 million souls around the world that do not have enough calories a day to be considered fed. And uh, as you can see, the, this division of this, uh, only uh, nine, 90 of uh, the, or 19 of the 925 million are in developed countries such as our own. Hunger, uh, they defined in these three ways, focusing on the middle one, is an uneasy or painful sensation caused by want of food, craving, appetite, also the exhausted condition caused by want of food. The want or scarcity of food in a country would last just being a strong desire or craving. So hungry. What are we hungry for and what will meet that? So with all these people mal malnourished, I have two interesting points for you from this. The first is that children are the most visible victim of undernutrition. It says children that are poorly nourished will spend up to, if not more, than 160 days a year incapacitated by illness because of that. And that's a lot. 
Poor nutrition plays a role, and this is at least half of the 10.9 million child deaths each year. And then this is really, really interesting. It says, according to the most recent estimate, mal, uh, malnutrition, as measured by stunting effects, 32.5% of children in developing countries, one of three, right? And that's in developing countries. And that, that's interesting because that is the exact percentage of children in the Bremerton School District that are on free and reduced lunches and are underneath the poverty line. So, um, so that is hungry, right? In the most basic sense, hungry, hungry for food. What are we hungry for? If you'll turn with me really quick to Exodus 16, we're going to be studying, as we go through our series on glimpses of Christ, which is seeing Christ in the Old Testament. Um, and today we're going to be looking at manna. So Exodus 16. I'm going to read two portions. The first will be verses 1 through 7, and the second will be verses 13 through 21. 1 through 7 says, Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elim and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin. And this is not metaphorical. This is actually the wilderness of Sin. Between Elim and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There too the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people will go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they will gather food. And when they prepare it, they will be tw there will be twice as much as usual. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaints, which are against him, not against us. What have we done that you should complain about us? So this is really interesting. It says, By this you will see the glory of the Lord and understand that he brought you out of Egypt. Right? And you think after all the plagues, right? after the parting of the Red Sea, after all this, they would have recognized that it was the Lord who had brought them out of Egypt. But they hadn't. They were still complaining. Right? This is right after Exodus 15, where the whole thing is a song of deliverance. You know, it says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled the horse and the rider into the sea. They're rejoicing, right? The Red Sea was parted. Pharaoh and his army were demolished. And yet, what will declare to them that it was the Lord that brought them out of Egypt? It's manna, right? That the Lord would feed them day after day after day. So 13 to 21, if you'll follow me. Uh, that evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and, and covered the camp. The next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as, as dew, a flaky substance as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it, they asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. 
These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as is needed, pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little, but when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, Do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them did not listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was angry with them. After this, the people gathered the food, morning by morning, each family according to its need. And as the sun became hot, the flakes they had not picked up melted and disappeared. And the explanation in Deuteronomy of this is not, well, man is delicious. The explanation is this, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where do we get that? from this portion. So we're going to look at it manna in these three ways. The first is manna is a taste of promise. Manna is a test. And manna calls our, our attention to the source of all our provision. So how do we get that man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God from manna, from, from, these, um, from this food that day after day was provided to them. And this is really interesting. If you guys want to understand how incredible this is, there's about, about 2 million people in the desert. And they figured that out from there was 600,000 fighting men. Each, so if each of these 200 million people required two quarts a day, which is technically one omer, there would be 12 million pints or 9 million pounds gathered daily. which was 4,500 tons. That's a lot. Daily gathered, okay? And get this, it says, hence 10 train cars, each having 30 cars, 10 trains, each having 30 cars, and each car having in it 15 tons. That is what was needed for their daily supply of food. Just of manna, not counting the quails. Right, so this is, this is extraordinary, What's going on here? But first, a taste of a promise. Verse 1. Um, I, I think this is, this is so exciting. Uh, frankly, I'm, I'm just amazed by cities. I don't, I'm not a city boy, but I'm amazed by cities. I'm amazed that they get fresh water on the top of skyscrapers. I'm amazed that enough resources can be provided for those locations. But here we have a people, 2 million people. This is more than are in Seattle prime, right? This, this is a huge group of people in a desert. And the Lord's providing for them. Deuteronomy 8.1 says this about it, showing us that this is but a taste of a promise. It says, be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today, then you will live and multiply and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. So first point about manna is this, and this is awesome, that manna is not the promise, right? Manna is feeding them until they get to the promise, right? And so, so often we miss that. We're like, I would get so, you know, we, we consider in, in a lot of the Asian countries that we looked at that, that are very malnourished, very simple diets, right? I mean, probably half of you guys don't even like fish 
or rice, let alone eat fish and rice for three meals a day, right? So we, here we have manna, which is sustaining them day after day after day, and they're getting a little bored by it, right? But manna isn't the promise. In Exodus 3, Jesus shows, uh, well, Jesus, we're actually going to look at this later, but, but God shows up to Moses in the burning bush, and this is what he tells him. This is the promise. Uh, Exodus 3, 7 to 8, it says, And then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. That's cool. <laughs> When we go through things, what's our first question usually? Does God hear? Does God care? Right? They've been in Egypt 450 years, which should give them a, a long time to imagine what it would be like to be free. And we're going to talk more about that later. But God hears them and he says, So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, not manna. Hallelujah! Not manna. Manna is getting them by. But manna isn't the promise. So... Joshua 5.12 says this, No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. That's amazing. Manna wasn't the promise, but the land of milk and honey. So why, why manna? Manna is a call for us to trust the process that God is taking us through. To trust the process. It is so hard to trust the process. I ran in high school and college, and I, I spent most of my time injured, and it was really hard to trust the process, right? I would, I'd be running like over 100 miles a week, and then all of a sudden, I'd get injured. I'd be out for a couple weeks, a couple months, and I'd have to start back by running 15 minutes on a treadmill. That is humbling, right? But, but you have to, what, trust the process. But you don't want it. Why is it so hard to trust the process? And manna is, is an amen to the fact that it's really, really hard to trust the process. But there is blessing in trusting the process. In Deuteronomy 5, This is what it says to us as part of the promise. Uh, Verses 24 through 29. It says, then they said, we're going to be reading a lot of the Bible today, so, so warm your fingers up. They said, look, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice from the heart of the fire. Today we have seen that God can speak to us humans, and yet we live. But now... Why should we risk it again? If the Lord our God speaks to us again, we will certainly die and be consumed by this awesome fire. So this is is recounting all that happened when they received the Ten Commandments. 26. Can any living thing hear the voice of, of the living God from the heart of fire as we did and yet survive? Go yourself. They're telling Moses, you go. We don't want to talk to him again. right? We're scared to death. You go on ahead. 
I'm going to just go start in 28 again. It says, The Lord heard the request you made to me, and he said, I have heard what the people said to you, and they are right. Oh, that they would always have hearts like this. Right? And so, so God isn't saying, well, it's terrible. He's saying, oh, I think they respect me. I think, that's, I think they're finally learning that I'm someone to be revered. Oh, that they would have a heart like this, that they might fear and obey my commands. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. Okay, 1228, Deuteronomy, this is what it says. Be careful to obey all my commands so that all will go well with you and your children after you because you will be doing what is good and pleasing to the Lord. Right, so this is following, this is, all in this line, which we get in Deuteronomy, be careful to obey all the commands the Lord has given you today. So what was the command? Right? Well, I'll provide for you, but how much are you supposed to get? You're only supposed to get enough manna for one day. If you get enough for two days, it's going to stink. Right? And then if you don't gather enough on the sixth day, then you're going to starve. Right? You're going to wake up the seventh day where you're supposed to be resting and chowing on the manna you got on the sixth day, but if you neglect to do that, you're going to go hungry. And so it's very frustrating for Moses because people are complaining on the seventh day, right? Why? Because they didn't obey, right? Collect the food you need. And this is, this is amazing. And because we don't trust the process, I, th- I think this is why we don't trust the process, is this. One of the greatest struggles that we have is that what is true is not always what appears to be most real. So what is true, trust the process. What is true is God saying, only collect one. This seems really, really basic. right? It's like saying only one cup of water can fit in a one cup measuring cup. Right? Trust the process. That's all you're going to get. Right? But we don't do this. Why? Because what is true doesn't always appear to be what is most real. The nature of the promise is this. That a future event not yet fulfilled will be fulfilled by the will and power of the one making the promise. So God's promise, I'm going to get you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Not yet accomplished, yet to be fulfilled. The nature of a promise is that we have to trust the promise, right? It seems fairly basic. And I think there's two things that keep us from trusting promises. One is this. One is that we doubt the power or faithfulness of the one making the promise, or that the person making the promise has not been true to their word, right? And so, so God, like anyone else, right, we can understand this way, well, has he been faithful, right? And then the question, if that is answered affirmative, right, that God has been faithful, then why, why wouldn't we be faithful or why haven't we been faithful? And I think, I think the answer to this is because of um, 
because of our, our own uh, imaginations. <laughs> it's probably a, a weird answer to this, but, but if you follow, follow me through on this, Numbers 11, 4 to 15 says this. It says, Then foreigners among them who were traveling uh, began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain, Oh, for some meat! They exclaimed, we remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted, but now our appetites are gone, and all we ever see is manna. Right? What rich imaginations we have. Right? You'd think that 450 years in Egypt would make their imaginations crave and picture one thing, and that is freedom. One thing. I want freedom at any cost. But not the cost of manna. Okay? Oh, if we were back in Egypt. Right? Do you, in your imagination, want to go back to Egypt? In your own imagination, where does satisfaction lie? Do you despise the desert and do you despise the manna that is getting you through to the promise that God has laid out for you? I think that's something we need to process through, just like we wish that our forefathers in Egypt processed, right? Why do you long for Egypt? Don't you remember? No, you don't. What was their imagination telling them? Oh, if we had, oh, if we had meat, get rid of this manna. The promise isn't worth it. <laughs> Anymore. I just want to get rid of this manna. Um, Moses has a different attitude that we find in Hebrews 11. It says, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Right? Moses treasured the promise. <laughs> right? This is, uh, it's Hebrews 11, 24. And he, he thought it better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to have all the treasures of Egypt. Was that available to him? Yes, he was raised in Pharaoh's household. That was fully available to him. In the same way, Philippians calls us to do this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And this is the same charge given to us. Guys, think about these things. Think about what's lovely, and what's pure, and what's honorable, and what's true, and what's right. Because our imaginations will again and again say, oh, if we were in Egypt. We've had, um, my parents have had a lot of people living at, lived at their home for a long time, I remember at times we'd be, we'd be sitting around and, and, um, and some of the, the kids that would come and live with them would, uh, would just be really living, you know. I remember back when I was smoking and drinking, I remember this awesome car chase we were in, and I jumped out of the car and I was, you know, and they'd just be like reliving these things like it was the glory days, right? That's not the glory days, right? That's bad if you're getting chased by the police, 
<laughs> right? <laughs> but we do that all the time, right? <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> man, it's, it's like the guys in college that wear their Letterman's jackets. You're just like, what are you doing? You know? I, <laughs> and you're like, that wasn't better times. But this is what we do. Our imaginations play <laughs> this bad game with us where we're all, where we're like, no, God doesn't satisfy. You know, if, if only I had what I had before. You know, that was, that was really, when I was, when I was doing it by myself, I remember those days when I was doing it by myself. Right? I remember when, when I could wake, I could sleep in, right? None of this, like, get up and read your devotion stuff. I mean, I remember when I could just hike every weekend, you know, go backcountry skiing, and I, gosh, that was good, right? I remember when it was, I wasn't, I wasn't bound to obedience. That's so childish. Why obey, right? And some of you guys are like, yeah. <laughs> That's what we do. Why, why don't I go rock climbing every weekend rather than preach, right? What? What, what makes us want to do one over the other, right? What, what is our motivation? What is the promise, right? And is the promise worth it? Because I guarantee you, if you do not see the promises worth it, you will live a bitter Christian life, right? Constantly being, constantly saying this to yourself, why does God ask me to obey? He is so unfair, Right? And so we wrestle through that in our heart. Why is he asking me to do this? Why is he obey? And I think it's really because we don't grasp the promise at all. And this moves right into our second one, which manna is a test. So manna is a taste of a promise. It's not the fulfillment of the promise. But second, manna is, is a test. How do we see this? Deuteronomy 8.2 it says, remember how the Lord led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commandments. And I don't, I don't know if anyone, you would probably be considered weird if you like taking tests. I don't know. I, if you're that kind of person, I really, you're awesome. Um, but most of us, we hear the idea of a test and we're like, ah, you know, our, we start sweating. But the reason why, why they had this time was a test. Marshall, if you go to the next slide with a map, I'm going to show you what this test looked like. Not only the manna, but check this out. Okay, the purple route is the route that Israel took, right? You see this? They come down around the bottom and up, and they, they want to be over here, okay? This is where they went. This is the line showing an easier route, right? Like we couldn't tell. But this is the quicker route. Um, why? Why go down here through the wilderness of Sinai, right? Why? Why the 40 years in the desert? And God's up front with them. He says, why? Well, the reason why you have manna and the reason why you began in the desert was to test you. In Exodus 16.4, which we, we already read, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you each day. 
People can go pick up as much as they want for that day. I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. That's what I'm going to do. Judges 2.19, because these people have violated my covenant, I will, I have made, which I have made to their ancestors and have ignored my commands, I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. I did this to test Israel to see whether or not they follow the ways of the Lord as their ancestors did. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says to us, examine yourselves and see whether you are in the faith or not. Test yourselves. Why? When testing is so repulsive to us, would God ever want to test us? And this is it. The, the, one of the reasons why it's given in Deuteronomy is humility. And the second reason, I think, is because God is truthful to his promise. God is faithful to his promise. But are you truthful and are you faithful? Right? We are so about God being accountable. Right? We hear it in our language all the time. And we hear it in people calling out God. Keeping God accountable. But who will keep us accountable? Right? When God starts keeping us accountable, what do we do? We give him the finger, right? And we say, you know what, God? I don't, why? Why should, you know, you're big, I'm small, you need to take care of me. Am I, I told you out in left field? Right? This is what we do. We're like, Ah, I'm not going to believe in you anymore, right? <laughs> and we, we got all huffy, and we're like, <laughs> no more, right? God says, get enough for one day. <laughs> and if you get more than that day, I'm going to get maggots in your food, right? And, they, and then they complain, why are there maggots in my food? <laughs> this is silly. Right? <laughs> Humility. It takes God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Right? James 4. When will we learn this? Andrew Murray, Murray in a beautiful book called Humility says, There is nothing more natural, beautiful, and blessed than God, that, that man might be nothing, that God might be everything. And this is what we're learning. My own patterns of living aren't right. I need to learn better practices for my life, God. I need you to test me and see if I'm faithful because I'm not naturally faithful. I need to be humbled to the point where I can say, God, I want you to examine me. Right? When will we desire that? To be faithful, not just to be repulsed by the testing of God when it comes, right? When will be we'll be like like David in Psalm twenty six that he says, "Search me, test me, God." I, because why? Because I, I don't want there to be anything in the way of me really worshiping you, because that is what satisfies. We're going to talk more about this. Later, as we, we move on to application. But God's truthful and God's faithful to his promise. But what will hold us 
accountable ourselves to be faithful to? Do we desire that? At what point will we desire that? And so God uses man as what? As a test. I'm not pretending that's an easy point. That's a hard one. <laughs> I, I think a lot of our language, um, a lot of the language that we can use sometimes, meaning it to be spiritual encouragement um, is, is, is a route around testing. Right? That oftentimes the spiritual language is that we, we turn God into the father we want him to be rather than the father that he is a good father that will give good gifts to his children. <laughs> right? We don't want accountability, I think, on so many levels, but, but God gives us accountability, calling us to, to what? And there's a difference that's really clear between Testing and temptation. Right? Satan tempted Jesus in the desert. And Jesus' response to one of his temptations was, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's the difference here? Temptation is for your failure. Testing is for your strengthening to be shown approved. Right? I, I shared Proverbs 17.3 uh, with a few guys this week. Fire tests silver or gold to do what? To make sure it's pure. And it says, just as the Lord tests the heart. Right? So that testing isn't for your failure, but it's for your good and your strengthening. Why? Because manna isn't the promise. Right? When will we learn that our life here isn't the promise? Right? This is but the beginning. And we can learn to trust and take him at his word and live faithfully for him, saying, Lord, the food I have now, the food I eat now, I'm just waiting for heaven in some ways. Not, not in a way that I'm like trying to leave the world, and, you know, but, but I'm longing. I'm homesick in some ways. Right? Um, that we're... we're <laughs> We're able to do that. What, what is our hunger right now? You know, I think so much of that testing is good for us. What, what do we hunger for? The most elementary levels. Okay, point three. Manna is calling our attention to the source of provision. As it said in Deuteronomy 8.3, he did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I think the question we have to ask first is why would we give God credit for the food when it is a f- or for the filling when it is the food that fills us? And that's that's what um, that's what the people struggled with with Moses. But that's also when when we read John six, that's what he challenges the people with. He says, "You ate the food and you were full." <laughs> that's not it. But that's all they wanted. They just wanted food. To be filled with. So, what, why would we credit God with filling us? What's God actually capable of? In John 6, Jesus unpacks for us the true intention of manna. 
in verses 26 through 59. He says, I will tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking eternal life that the Son of Man can give you, for God the Father has given me the seal of approval. And they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the work of the Father. Uh, but what he wants for you, believe in the one he sent. Show us miraculous signs if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? All our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the desert. The scripture says Moses gave them bread from heaven. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give them bread from heaven, but the Father did. And now he offers you true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives them life to the world. Sir, give us this bread. And, and Jesus replies to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given to me will come to me and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of those he has given to me but that I should raise them up at the last day, for this is my Father's will. That all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I have come down from heaven? And this is it, guys. This is, this is hard. It says, a lot of people left at this point because it's not the manna. Um, can God provide for our needs, I think is, is the essential question. <laughs> the doubt from the manna, I'm going to collect more today because I don't know if God's going to bring the food tomorrow. And as Jesus offers himself as what truly satisfies I think there's, there's two responses, and, and the one is that Jesus doesn't really understand what satisfies, and that's oftentimes what we think. We're like, well, Jesus, I know you're offering yourself, but I'm not going to trust you because I don't, I don't know if you really know my basic needs, right? Do you, do you know that 925 million people in the world are hungry for basic food, right? For bread, for manna, right? That, that, that's a huge need, Jesus. Can you meet that need? Right? Jesus, I know I'm, I'm empty and I, 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 want, I want to be filled spiritually too. Can you meet that need? Right? Um, and so, so does Jesus get it is the question as he offers himself. What is he offering when he offers himself? Option two is that we don't get it. That we really do need the Lamb of God God that came to take away the sins of the world. That we do need to be tested. That we do actually need to partake of him. As Jesus says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is what will satisfy you. And people were like, I can't can't even wrap my mind around that. I don't even know where where to begin with this. So what is Jesus offering? And can he satisfy the needs of not only the 925 million 
that are hungry for manna, but the seven billion, right, that, that are hungry in so many other ways. There's three things that cause, according to worldhunger.org, that cause hunger more than, obviously, lack of food. Um, the first is poverty is the cause of hunger. That 1,345,000,000 poor people in developing countries who live on $1.25 a day or less just don't have enough money to actually provide for themselves. It's hard to feed yourself at McDonald's with that much. Harmful economic systems are the second principal cause of poverty. And this is governments or, or um, ruling people that, that serve a minority and exclude the majority. The third is conflict is the cause of it, war. So this is what I think is interesting, is I don't think we understand our basic needs. And that's why we constantly turn to something other than Jesus. Is that we think our basic need is food. And Jesus just rebuttals that in Matthew 6. <laughs> it's like, like, don't you see the, the grass of the fields? Don't you see the birds? Right, so I think we, we see these things as our basic needs. We see food, housing, and, and believe me, we understand the necessity of those as we really try to work towards a solution for that in Bremerton as, as the refuge, the coffee waste, Hope in Christ Ministries. That's, that's the mission we're on, right? Is we want people to be fed. We want them to be clothed, right? We, we want them to have houses. And so we set ourselves to pursue that without losing sight that that is not the most essential need. Because you can give people bread every day, but they will not be satisfied. They won't even have the means themselves to then go out and get bread. Right? What are these things? The root of, of poverty is, and, and the root of hunger isn't that we don't have enough food. The interesting thing is that there is enough food produced every year in the world to feed every single person in the whole world, but they are not being fed. Do you guys get that? That's amazing. We, we make enough food to feed everyone, but, but still, a seventh of the people aren't getting fed. Why? Because the issue isn't food. It's something else. But we constantly set ourselves to fix these other things that, that are just temporary solutions. Right? What's going to fix poverty and world conflict and governments? It's going to be this baby, right? This baby who will be the Prince of Peace, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, and we need governments to sit on his shoulders. Right? That's the solution that Jesus is offering. He says, eat of me. I am the bread of life. That's a serious claim. And it means every single issue, poverty, housing, food, spiritual needs, Jesus meets them. Why? Because he's reproducing himself in people than to care. Right? How are you going to tell people to care? Right? Yeah, yeah, we could probably run a really good campaign in Bremerton to have people care. 
How are we going to cause a communist country to care? That's really hard. Jesus is the solution. Bar none, there's no other. Right? We need, we need to go back to him who will be the Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Almighty God. This is the solution that's offered. Um, and I think this is what is missing when we miss out on trusting in Jesus. Right? So uh, this, is, uh, this is a really bold claim, but I, I really believe this. So when we see the people in the desert, when we see the Israelites in the desert, and we think, why, why didn't you just get enough food for one day? <laughs> that seems so basic. But think about it as this, that the manna wasn't the promise. They were looking forward to something. Are we holding on? Are we trusting by faith in the promises that God's given us? That if we invest ourselves fully in the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all these other things will be added into us. Do we really believe that? And how are we working towards that together? Right? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I'm not saying that they're not important because they are and that's, that's why we're about that, right? That's why we're building a shelter for underage youth in this coffee shop, right? Because we're about that. But Jesus has to be the center. He has to be because it's only going to be temporary fixes unless we're healed by him. How do we participate in this? There's three ways. The first is to ourselves hunger and reach the depths of that hungering. Matthew 5 says, what blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you who realize that you're spiritually poor. Moving on, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right? That your hunger and thirst, you realize what's the root of it. A way to do this is fasting. Um, and I, I'm not good at fasting. <laughs> uh, but it's a way to do it because of this. Uh, John Piper says this about fasting. He says, fasting is a declaration that we would rather feast at God's table in the kingdom of heaven than feed on the finest delicacies of this world. The question is not whether we fast, but whether we hunger for God like this. The most mature Christians I have ever met are the ones who are the hungriest for God. Right, so what's the first way we can do this? Hunger for God, right? Experience hunger for God. And, ex- and express that in saying, God, whether it's by fasting or some other means, practicing, God, I want to learn how to hunger because I don't hunger like I should, right? I hunger for manna, and so when, when I don't have it, I freak out, right? So experience that hunger for God and mature as a Christian that way. The second is, is participate in the feeding of other people, right? Both materially, in meeting their material needs, participate in that. But also, this charge that Jesus gave to Peter in John 21. Jesus said, do you love me? And he said, I, I, I do. And Jesus says, what? So feed my sheep. <laughs> That's the charge I'm giving you. Feed my sheep, if you hunger and you know what satisfies, feed. Right? Participate in that. And the third is eat. 
Right? So hunger, participate in the feeding of others, and then eat yourself. So we're, today, the first Sunday of the month, we're going to do communion together. And this is a time where we say this. Communion, taking, taking the bread and dipping it in the juice is saying this one thing. God, that I trust that you are the one that satisfies. And I'm going to go obey faithfully what it means to walk towards the promises, to participate in the promises that you have made to us. So it's affirming. Taking communion, participating in communion together is together affirming that God is faithful. God, that we've been unfaithful, but you've been faithful. That of the, those two options about why promises aren't fulfilled, the first, the first being because the, the person who's made the promise isn't faithful, the second being that we just don't trust the person, right? That the, that's the second one, God, that you have been faithful, right? That you, that you are faithful to those who've, who've fully trusted you and to really explore what that means as, as individuals and as a church together. Um, so I'm going to pray for us and we'll, we'll sing. And then after the first song, then um, Letitia and Curse are going to just hold the elements for you guys. And so feel free to, to eat, worship, and, and I, guys, together, let's, let's really think, how do I, God, how do I hunger for you again, maybe? How do I, how do I have a pure hunger? Um, oh, Father, we pray. Asking you what our manna is. Um, to understand that, that Jesus is now offering himself. That he is the bread of life. That those that come to him will not be disappointed. And I think we harbor so many disappointments because, God, because we, we've come halfway and we're like, I like it and I'm so attracted by it, but I, I'm just... I'm still a little scared. What if I do it? What if I really have faith and I get let down or I get hurt? Um, God, help us. Like the man prayed to Jesus, help my unbelief. Just help us, God, as we experience a deeper and deeper hunger for you and that we will just find that satisfaction um, not only in the, the present, knowing that we can taste and see that you are good and experience the fullness of Christ now but also just to look forward to eternity where there will be no more curse and no more tears and no more hunger. God, please just bless your people here with the ability to worship you now. And just give you thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.